The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you I am a boat Good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com, and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side of the page is Bradley's show from yesterday. Uh, so if you miss that and you'd like to catch it, uh, you can do so up until 3 o'clock this afternoon, at which time he'll be live in that little area right there. And then on the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up whatever device you've got, and then uh, look for the rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. And click on that. Join us in the chat on Rumble. We've got a lot of friends over there this morning. Good to see all of you guys in there, and thank you for uh, your support. Um, yeah, do that and join us in the chat. We are streaming live to Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're also streaming live to BeforeIt'sNews.com, uh, top of the page there, and we appreciate Michael and uh, his team giving us uh, a spot over there as well. Uh, right up under where we're streaming live, you can sign up for our email newsletter. Again, that's all the articles that we have up on Sons of Liberty and um, usually that's Bradley's got one. I think he's cutting it back to one every other day. Uh, he's got an article. Then you'll have like the morning show and then you'll have all the articles. As you can see, you guys on the video platforms, you can see all the different uh, articles that we put out. You get that in your inbox each night and uh, that goes out between 7 and 8 p.m. Eastern usually. So if you get signed up before then, then you should get it tonight. Also, if you want our ministry email, you want to know what the Sons of Liberty actually do. Go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. Sign up for that email right on the front page. And that goes out once a week on Saturdays. Uh, usually sometime, usually, well, usually it's late in the afternoon. <laughs> but it goes out on Saturdays, once a week. So you don't have to worry about that one, you know, being in your inbox each day. Finally, if you would, if you agree with our message, you'd like to help uh, support us and keep us out there doing what we're doing. There's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that and make a one-time donation or partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty and uh, guys we really do appreciate <clears throat> you very much uh because without you we can't 
we can't go and do what we're doing. Um, that's just a fact. That's just a fact that's at least not in the sense of the amount of stuff that we do. Let me put it that way. We, we can still go and do, and we can still be uh, exactly who we are. But uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult to do it in the manner that we do now. All right. So I want to, <clears throat> you know, I, my mind was already going in this direction yesterday, but I I had somebody. Um, Actually, I had two or three people uh, write me uh, yesterday after yesterday's show. <clears throat> and look, I, I know some of some of you. It was hard for you to watch. Some of you didn't watch, and, and I get I get why. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not trying to glorify evil. I, I'm not trying to um, desensitize you to what's going. I think sometimes we, even those of us who are opposed to the murder of the unborn. Sometimes even we need to be quickened or awakened to that reality of what's really going on. I mean, we say it, but sometimes it's like if you don't see it, it's not as real. You know it's real, but it's not, it's not as real. Hopefully you understand what I'm saying there. And I thought it was necessary to get out there. This is a, that was, the film that we showed was... Um, <clears throat> You know, produced in 1984, given to all members of Congress, given to the president, given to all members of the uh, Supreme Court. And, um, I, you know, how anybody can sit there and watch that and continue to promote the murder of the unborn as though it's a women's rights stuff is just they are they have either seared their conscience. No, they've either seared their conscience. That's it. There's there's nothing else. They've seared their, they've seared their conscience. But as we were talking about that, I made mention of the fact, and I kind of, maybe I do need to clarify some things, but I was given some messages yesterday. And when some people said, uh, some people were going in on Bradley's show in the afternoon and bringing up, you know, what we talked about. Uh, I don't even know that Bradley was talking about this. Um, I wasn't in the chat, so I don't know. But <clears throat> this person was saying, well, Tim is saying that aborted babies go to hell. What? When did I say that? And apparently it was said over and over and over and over again. And I went in last night and uh, to to comments here. And I think this is the person because they mentioned they have a name uh, here. And <clears throat> this is what they wrote to me. Tim, you need to clarify. I don't mean to rock the boat. The clarification has to do with what happens to an aborted to an aborted baby. Where does it go? The correct answer should have been the spirit goes back to the Lord who gave it. Um, okay, where does scripture say that specifically in the sense of, I guess you're pointing out that it goes to heaven. Now, there's no doubt that the spirits, whether they go to heaven or hell or however that's worked out, they're going in the presence of God. One is in the fullness of his wrath. The other is in the fullness of his grace. And um, <clears throat> so the correct answer should be that the Spirit goes back to the Lord who gave it. Where do you get that? I want to ask you. Where is that in Scripture? Maybe you want to respond um, on the video that we did yesterday. Maybe you want to respond to that. Uh, the person goes on and says, I know what King David said about being conceived in, in iniquity. Well, if you understand that, and if you understand Paul's argument uh, that all who are in Adam die in Adam. And all who are in Christ live in Christ. 
And if you understand that we pass on that sinful nature, why? And I'm going to get to it in just a little bit, because we were in Adam when he committed his first sin. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I hope it'll make it clear how the sin nature is real. Look, we are not uh, Pelagians here. I know I just threw a big word out for some people here. And I'm, I'm, I don't try to you know, be something I'm not here. <clears throat> but Pelagius was a guy who basically didn't believe in what's called original sin. He didn't believe that when Adam had children that he passed on that sinful nature to them. That they're just blank sheets of paper. They're righteous and holy in and of themselves. And um, you know what what makes them bad are bad teachings and you know sinful people around them. And I'm not denying that bad teachings and sinful people only exacerbate the sinfulness of children or or but here's the, here's the reality. If you could take a child and you could leave that child all by itself without any discipline, without any correction, whatever, by five years old, that little child would be such a savage because that's the sinful nature coming out. That cute, cuddly little child, that's what they would be without teaching, without love, and without discipline. That's what they would grow up to be. And uh, this, is, this is that desperately wicked heart that Jeremiah writes about. See, we think more highly of ourselves than we should. And so today, what I want to do is this person, uh, let me finish reading their comment. I, I was going to address issues of a false gospel. How, can, how do you know when you've, when you've seen a false gospel? Uh, this is what the person went on to say. I know that King David said uh, about being conceived in iniquity. However, let's start at the beginning. You said, I don't know. And that's true. I'm not on the other side of eternity. But I did say, the Lord <clears throat> will do right. He will do justly. He's not going to treat those children unjustly. That's what I said. I didn't say he sent, he sent them all to hell. I didn't, and I said, be careful of those who just whitewash all children and just say, well, they go to heaven because of their own interest, their own innocence. Listen, that is another gospel. That is another gospel. Any other way to the Father except through the Son is another gospel. Can I say it again so we're clear? Any other way, I don't care if you're promoting the cherub cheeks and innocent syrupy milk toast kind of thinking that you have about children. The fact of the matter is no child gets into the glory and the presence of the father except through the son. None. Just like all men. They don't get there. Here. Let's go to the words of the Lord Jesus. We all know these. <clears throat> John chapter 14. Let's just start right there. Let not your heart be troubled. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. He's uh, getting ready for his death, burial, and resurrection. It's Passover week. Um, and uh, and you know he's preparing here with his disciples. And he says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. 
And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? This is the thing that some people miss, in my mind, in the eschatological framework of their theology. And that eschatological, just it just means the study of last things. It was a big word, sorry. Their study of last things um, is the disciples. Jesus has been telling them why he's going to Jerusalem, what's going to happen there. He's going to die, but he's going to raise the third day. And they don't get it. They do not get it. They think he's come to establish some kind of, you know, literal, let me change that. That's not a good word. Some kind of kingdom that looks like the kingdoms around them. That's what they think he's come to do. He did come to establish a literal kingdom, and we've been brought into that through the grace of God and the work of Christ. Okay, we've been, Paul says, we've been translated out of darkness into the kingdom of light. So there is a real kingdom which we're experiencing today under our King Jesus. But he says, We know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I'm adding I'm in there. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Now, he is not engaging in what... Oh, I I, I hate sometimes having to bring these words up, but I'm going to bring it up, and that way at least you'll understand what it is. Modalism. Modalism has this idea... That instead of an I, instead of understanding that God has revealed Himself, one God in three persons. No, that's not three gods. That's three persons who are the one God. Okay. Instead of real, an understanding it that way, they say, "Well, it's God the Father," and then when He wants to engage in redemption, He takes off the mask of the Father and He puts the mask on of the Son. Um, and he comes down and redeems, and then he takes that mask off, and he goes back to heaven, and he puts on another mask, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's modalism. That's not what Scripture teaches at all. And sadly, we got a lot of men who are being promoted in the Christian community um, who believe that stuff. Now, the church has already condemned that years ago, that kind of understanding of who God is. And I'm not talking about one guy on a radio somewhere saying, that's heresy. I'm talking about the church came together and said, no, this isn't how it is. This isn't how it is. So Jesus has laid the straight stick down, if you will. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but my... Oh, but babies, Tim. Are are babies part of mankind? Are they men? Yeah, of course they are. Of course they are. my friend here who left the the message said, at the one hour and 11 minute point, you begin to say different other than, I guess, I don't know where these children go. So let's just take a second, okay? And I have pulled it up here. So let's listen to what I said, what I actually said, uh, so we can do this. And then we're going to move on from here as to why, if you're just going to whitewash and you're going to claim innocence of babies is why they go into the presence of the Father, you are holding to a false gospel. Okay, you are holding to a false gospel. But my friend says, um, 
<clears throat> at the one hour, 11 minute point, you began to say different. No, I didn't. I still don't know. I'm not on the other side there. I'm not the judicial judge here of that. But I do believe God will do right, and I believe we have every reason to believe, especially for believers, we have every reason to believe that God will be merciful to our children in the same way he was merciful to us. Now, we don't presume upon God's grace, but we have every reason to hope in that. Okay? Then you say, before you go sending all babies to heaven, another phrase, and I did say that because there's some people who just do that, and this is, this, I'm gonna, I, I am going to clarify that. And I was asked, do you believe aborted babies go to hell? What did I say? I don't know. I said the judge of the world is going to do right and he's going to do justly. That's what I said. And I said the only way any baby, any man, any woman, any of this stuff, and I, I didn't explain it that far out, but the only way that's going to happen is that they enter into the presence of God is through the work of Christ. Let's just listen to what Tim said yesterday. Whoops. Maybe we can listen to it. Whoops. Okay, something's happened. Okay, I know what I did. Hang on just a second. Live radio, and I totally messed that up, didn't I? Um, <clears throat> I had this muted while the music was going before, and so I was muted. So let's listen to what I have to say. You have children. Be diligent in teaching them. Oh, how the world needs godly children. How the world needs godly children and how many millions of them have we offed? By the way, I'm just going to tell you something. I know a lot of people get really, look, I'm emotional, you can tell. But a lot of people get emotional about, you know, where are children after they've been aborted or this and that. You know, I don't know. The Lord is the just judge of the earth. He will always do right. But I'm going to tell you this and keep this in mind before you send all children to heaven and this, that, and the other. I want you to listen to something. Nobody, 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 I don't care how young they are or how old they are, get into the presence of God apart from the work and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Nobody. They don't get in there because they're cute and cuddly. They don't get in there because they're innocent. They don't get in there because they haven't done anything wrong. We read this in, in Romans 9. They get in there because of the grace of God. Because every one of these babies that's been murdered through abortion, every one of them were sinners. Don't change the theology and bring down the work of Christ for the sake of innocent-looking babies. Okay, all right, that's what I said. I think it's pretty clear. I didn't say... All aborted babies are going to hell. I didn't say all babies are going to hell. I didn't say anything of the like. What I said was, if a baby goes to heaven, any baby, just like any man or any woman, if they go to heaven, they go there not based on their innocence. They go there based on the work of Christ. Oh, and this is why. Hey, for those of you who want to push back against the doctrines of election and predestination that we've covered, this is one of the reasons that you can hold to those. Well, Tim, they didn't get a chance to, to say the sinner's prayer. They don't have to. How many of you guys have not read <clears throat> 
the gospel account in Luke of Mary and Martha. And what do you read? Not Mary and Martha, Mary and Elizabeth. I'm going to do the Mary Magdalene thing. How many of you have read that? And what do you see with John the Baptist in his mother's womb? What do you see there? Mary comes in, he hears her voice, and she says, the babe leaped in me with joy. And the Bible says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. John didn't make some kind of decision for Christ. That's not what's going on. God said, John, you're my boy. You're going to be the one who paves the pathway for my son. You're going to hold up the light and you're going to point out the Lamb of God. And you know what? Did John have a choice in that? <laughs> no, God called him out to do that. Just like he called all the prophets. I mean, look at those guys. They're a lot of them, a bunch of nobodies. And God filled them with the Spirit and said, go and preach. Look at the judges. You don't see any man calling them to do what they were doing. God called them. God put his Spirit upon them. And you go into the New Testament, <clears throat> and you see God doing... What is uh, The greatest example is the Apostle Paul himself. He's going with letters to imprison and kill Christians, and what happens? Oh, Paul just has a change of heart, because he's really such a good guy. Nope. God confronts him, blinds him, asks him why he's persecuting him, and he's, he's like, what are you talking about? What? And he has to go, and a guy preached to him and baptized him, why? Because Paul needs the Christ. Paul's not good and innocent of himself. I mean, we all understand that. But why don't we take it back down to where men are at? So that's the point. That's the point. Our hope is in Christ. It is not in our own righteousness, which the Bible says is like filthy rags. And it certainly isn't in the right... Look... Any, any of you listening to me out there, tell me I'm wrong. You love your kids, right? You love your kids. But you see in your kids you, don't you? Don't you? Don't you see your kids in many cases doing the same sins or making the same mistakes or the same errors that you made? They may be less because you learned a lesson and you're teaching that to them, hopefully. But don't you see in them the sinful heart that God talks about? Aren't they prone to talk about their friends sometimes or to be jealous or to be selfish? Yeah, we all see it. That's why they need parents who discipline them and correct them and teach them right. And, they, and that's when they're young. Imagine if you didn't do that and they grew up to be a man or a woman, what they would be. So I want, I want to present this in such a way to where there's no, there's no misunderstanding as to what the true gospel is. Because the true gospel does not say any, that, that children or certain people who haven't heard the gospel or any of this stuff get into heaven on their own. Yeah, I've heard people say that stuff. I worked for a guy who told me, well, you know, God will be, he'll be merciful to those who never heard the gospel and this, that, and that. And I'm like, what? 
They never believed. So Jesus came and he died a, an excruciating death on behalf of sinners. And for those who never hear, for those who never believe, somehow he's going to atone for them and they'll get a second chance in heaven. Now, let me say this. That came from a guy who was a Southern Baptist preacher who told me this stuff. And I just, I was flabbergasted. Because if that's the case, well, then let's let people, let's not tell anybody about the gospel because the chances are they'll embrace it the second time when they see the reality rather than now. And that's unbiblical, isn't it? Because the Bible says, how are they going to believe if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear if they don't have a preacher? And friends, I can tell you, if God is moving on the heart of somebody in Africa or New Zealand or Australia or Russia or wherever it is, if he's moving on their hearts and he wants to save them, guess what he's going to do? He's going to send a preacher to them. One way or the other, he's going to get a preacher to them. I remember years ago, the pastor that my dad was serving under as associate pastor, he talked about a guy that he went into a village. I forget where they went to, but he went into a village and he began to share the gospel with this guy. And this guy goes, now, I don't know how he knew it or whatever, but the guy looked at him and he said, I knew there was a God and I knew he had a son who did something for me, but I didn't know what it was. And he says, now you've brought me this message. I know what he's done. I want, I want what you're talking about. I couldn't believe it. I wasn't even a Christian at the time. I was just, I was stunned by that. How is that possible? And yet, we see a lot of this in the Muslim world, where Muslims have dreams about the Christ, uh, where they're told the Christ is real, and then you have people who come alongside, they come uh, behind that, and they're preaching the gospel to them, and they're believing. They're believing. So, what is a false gospel? What is a false gospel? Well, <clears throat> we have one passage that I want to go to, and I want to see if we can um, kind of expound upon it. Actually, we're going to be in a couple of places. Galatians chapter 2 and 3. We're also going to be in Acts chapter 15. And um, why don't I just pull this off so we understand? Let me, let me get this out of the way so that we understand that we, we do pass these things on to our children. They're, they're, they're ingrained, and it's taught in, in various places, and I don't have three hours that I can go and go into the different places where we're taught. We're, in, in essence, passing on our sinful nature to our children. But here's one of the things that I want to do is help you to see how that happens. This is in Hebrews chapter 7. And again, remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrews. It's not primarily to Gentiles. It's to Hebrews. And he's warning them of going back to the old covenant, to the old covenant system, because he says that's becoming obsolete. It's going to pass away so that the new might be established. And he's talking about the new covenant. And here's what we read. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, and remember that the writer of Hebrews is also taking all of the Old Testament patriarchs, all the stuff, the temple, the utensils, the priesthood, all of the stuff. And he's saying Christ is superior to all of that stuff. That's what he's saying. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, or the, what we would know as king of Jerusalem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Remember, we talked about that when we talked about militia. Abraham had his own militia, 318 trained men. He went and he whooped some kings and their boys, and he got his nephew out, Lot, uh, from, their, from captivity from them. 
All right. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. So when, if you remember the story back there in Genesis, Abraham defeats his foes, gets his uh, nephew Lot out. And as he's coming back, he meets this Melchizedek. We're not told Melchizedek has any parents. We're not told when he was born. We're not told when he dies. He's just like this. Some people think he is a pre-incarnation figure of Christ. I don't know if that's true or not. But nevertheless, he is a type of Christ. Or he's a picture of Christ. There's no question about that because Abraham gives a tenth or a tithe part of all, all the spoils that he got. Okay. First being by interpretation, king of righteousness. And after that, also king of Salem, which is king of peace. That's who Melchizedek is. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of days or end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Melchizedek was not only a king, he was a priest in Jerusalem. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus is king and he is priest. He is the only intercessor between God and man. This is why the Roman system is a false gospel. Let me change that. This is one of the reasons the Roman system is a false gospel. It wants to put priests and cardinals and bishops and popes and everybody else in the way between you and Christ and between you and the Father. Let me tell you something, friend. Christ died that you might be reconciled to God, that you might be able to call him Father. Not so you can go through a bunch of men who are going to manipulate you, take your money, which is what the Roman Catholic Church does. That's what indulgences are. It's what they've always been about. Thinking that you can buy God off with your filthy money, and you can't. Man, if you, when David says, if you desired sacrifice, I would have given it. But you don't deserve, you deserve a broken and contrite heart. If you can't get God with that, you certainly can't get him with money. And that's what the Roman system does. It pushes money. And Jesus said, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve what? What is that, guys? You're going to serve money. And that's what they promote because they're antichrist and because they preach a false gospel. And there's others who do it too in different ways. They do it in different ways. But here's the thing. He goes on in this passage and he says this, Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Verse 5, And verily they that are the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is of their brethren, through though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that, that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. Now watch this. And as I may say so, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. How can that be? Levi, The Levites were the priestly line who received the tithes from the people. Why? Because they didn't have any land and they didn't do anything but perform the, the, the uh, uh, worship that God had instructed through the sacrifices. And so they were given tithes. This is not money. This, was, this would be uh, in, in the form of food. It would be in form of animals and portions of the sacrifices that were given, all these kinds of things. And it says this, 
for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, what is it saying? Well, it's saying that Levi was in the loins. If you want to get DNA and all this kind of stuff in there, he's in Abraham when Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek. And so, therefore, Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. How does that work? And what we're talking about, about a false gospel, about original sin, things of this nature. All of us, everybody listening to me right now, were in the loins of our father, Abraham. When uh, Abraham. Uh, we're in the loins of our father, Adam, when he sinned in the garden. And this is Paul's argument in the book of Romans. He's saying we're in him. We're either in Adam, and that's going to lead us to death, or we're in Christ, and that's going to lead us to life. Okay? All right, so that's the first thing. The other part is I want to go into Galatians and I want to go into the book of Acts. And I'm just, again, we're just going to go through the context so that you see what it's being said. And then we're going to make some practical application to false gospels. Now, again, there is everything in me that has a hope that, again, the just judge of the world will do right. And that he'll show mercy to children. I, I, but that mercy is not based on their innocence. It is based on the work of Christ. Hear me again and again and again. Because as soon as you move away from Christ and you start making anything else the steps into glory before the Father, you are embracing another gospel in another form. You are. And you can be mad at me if you want to be mad at me. But if children get in, look, it says one guy said, he says, well, if, the, if that's the case, if we're just sending them straight into heaven, abortion is the greatest evangelistic tool the church has. But of course, that would be a false premise, wouldn't it? Because we're told not to murder. That would be sin to do that. The point is, and this is where people don't understand the grace of God. It is not dependent upon man. I like them apples. It isn't dependent upon you. Never has been. Though, if, 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 look, I have to ask a question. Why do babies die? Since I'm, I'm going to be leaving the subject of abortion and babies here in a second, just to get to the nitty-gritty of what a gospel is. Why do babies die? Because of sin. Because of sin. This is not hard to understand. It's hard for us to embrace. Because we have been taught God is this syrupy, transgender, <laughs> milquetoast, wimpy, effeminate God. And he's not. In fact... The scriptures declare that people who think like that, they say, you thought I was like you. You thought I was like you, but I'm not. Does God love? Yep, perfectly. Does God have mercy? Yes, abundantly, rich in mercy. Does, is God gracious? Absolutely. But he's not like you and me. He's not like you and me. So let's look to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to run just into Galatians chapter 3 with what, what, uh, what Paul puts here. This is Galatians chapter 2. Um, 
goodness, let's see where we want to go. Okay, let's just start here at the first. That's what that's why I had it up. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem, this is Paul talking um, with what went on in his life, with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Excuse me, my mouth is really dry right now. Hang on. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. So Paul's not preaching a different gospel to Gentiles than he does Jews or Hebrews. I, I prefer the name Hebrews. That's just me. Um, I communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, this is interesting because for, um, was it Timothy? I think I'm speaking correctly here. Ugh. Timothy, he actually had circumcised, and there was a reason for it. The, the reason was so nobody had anything to say against him. He didn't do that with Titus. And that because of false brethren. Mm. Stop and think about that for a second. Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, he's not a Hebrew, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in. Paul says there are some false brethren. They're not real Christians. They came in and they compelled Titus to go get circumcised. As somehow that amounted to something. Now that's going to come in here in just a little bit who came in privily to spy out our liberty. Listen, friends, those of you who think that Christ came to somehow subdue you into this boring life, keep you from anything that is living, you are sorely mistaken. Christ came to set us free, not to put us in bondage. He came to give us liberty, real liberty. Not liberty to violate the law, but liberty to honor him and to glorify him and enjoy the, the abundant blessings of doing so. He says this, they came to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Is that not what they, that's what I just said. Yep. I should just read the passage. No comment. To whom we gave place by sub subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of uncircumcision, of the uncircumcision, was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, and that's not saying that because Peter did preach to some of the, those who were circumcised, some of the Hebrews at that time. Um, but his large mission was in among the Gentiles. For what he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood, him face, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. You say, where are we going with this, Tim? I'm going to tell you because he's making an argument here 
about a false gospel. So Paul has to confront Peter at Antioch. Why? For before that, certain came from James. He did eat, that's Peter, with the Gentiles. But when they were come, this is Hebrews, these are Jews, they're coming down to Antioch. When they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Now, why is he fearing them? Hmm. He's fearing them because he wants their approval. He wants man's approval. You know, Peter is a, he's one of these uh, enigma wrapped in a puzzle, wrapped in some kind of, I mean, he's just an, he's an interesting figure. And it says, and the other Jews disassembled likewise with him. So Peter not only stepped away from eating with the Gentiles to be, you know, get the praise of men from the Jews, he led others away from that too. Insomuch that Barnabas, Barnabas, remember, son of encouragement, also was carried away with their dissimulation. And notice this. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, I mean, they're just eating. They moved away from eating with Gentiles and they went over there with the Jews. He says they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. Oh. He confronted Peter because Peter wasn't being straightforward about the gospel in his actions. Do you understand that? Wasn't about eating and drinking. Wasn't about whether you had the foreskin of your male genitals cut off. Wasn't anything about that. It was whether or not you had been born again and whether your heart had been circumcised. That's what the gospel is about. And who does that? Christ does it, not men. And he confronts him, and I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall... What does it say there? What, what, what does that say? No flesh, no flesh, no flesh be justified. I, I think that's pretty clear. No flesh. He didn't put an age restriction on it. No man, no woman, no child is justified by the flesh. I don't care how cute and cuddly they are. I don't care what they say about their good deeds. I don't care, you know, whatever the thing is that man wants to put up. None of them are justified in the flesh or the works of the law. You can sacrifice all you want. You can take vows of poverty all you want. You can uh, flagellate yourself all you want. You can nail yourself to a cross in the Passion Week all you want to. But if you don't have Christ, those works are damned. 
And they're not just damned, they're God damned. Because why? He says as much. Trying to attain your own righteousness before the Father is a futile effort. Well, Tim, you guys talk about justice and you talk about the law. And we got up. Yeah, we do talk about that because it should be a reminder when the law is enforced. Let me tell you something. You start having the law of God enforced. I'm not talking about a prison cell. I'm talking about where people actually get stoned, where they're actually put to death after their crime. Saw somewhere down there in Florida, they've what they're looking at three guys within a few weeks. One of them was put to death yesterday, from what I understand. You start putting that out there, and you start having the community having to deal with it. I'm not talking about the state. I'm not talking about the feds. I'm talking about the community, the, the community that that the person lives in, because those people aren't going to put that person to death, you know, willy nilly. They're just not going to do it. They get due process. They're going to do their best to try to get away from that. They're going to try to find that guy innocent if they can find him. You start doing that and you'll start showing people the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin or lawlessness or violating God's law is death. You don't get a gold star for it. You don't get a gold medal for it. You don't get high praise for it. You get death. And the more you try to justify yourself, what happens? You just build up a bigger debt that you owe God because you will not accept the payment of sin in Christ Jesus. He goes on, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? No, God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. It's a violent one who steps across the line. I have walked across the line of, that has been set for me. I've, set, I've went across the boundaries that have been set for me by my creator. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There, in essence, is the gospel because Paul is saying, I deserve to be the one on the tree. And in a sense, I am. I'm crucified with Christ. God has meted out his wrath upon me, upon Christ. And it's a demonstration that God does love me, not by leaving me in my transdelusions, not by leaving me in my thefts, not by leaving me in my murders, not by leaving me in my drunkenness or my idolatry or my covetousness or my lies, but by delivering me from them and giving me liberty because those things have enslaved me. And in Paul's case, yeah, he was guilty of murder. There's no question about that. But it was this self-righteousness. That was a bondage to him, not a liberty. 
And he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And I'll add this for what I said yesterday. If righteousness comes by your supposed innocence, good works, whatever you, whatever age range you want to put it in, then Christ is dead in vain. And that's where I really have a problem. I have no problem in the hope that God will do right and that children will go to him. I have no problem in hoping that. That is hope I offer to people. But I don't offer it apart from the work of Christ. You know, when you go into, oh, I want to say it was Corinthians. But it talks about, yeah, uh, well, it talks about the fact that, that when, if you have at least one believing parent and you have children there, the children are made holy. Now, it doesn't mean they're Christians. It just means that they're separate. They've been separated for the glory of God. And they have a blessing for that. Why? Because they at least have one believing parent. Now, I can't really say that for those who don't have believing parents. And yet, God in his mercy saves people who have unbelieving parents. I've heard the testimonies. Saves quite a few of them. But I'm talking about the natural, normal means of things. So, Paul finishes that out in chapter 3, and he comes to the issue of what the gospel is. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Now, that's hard in our society for people to hear. Because Paul says, you have to obey. Obey the truth. In fact, he writes that in uh, 2 Thessalonians. Yep, he sure does. He says, Jesus is coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel. They don't just have a head knowledge and it's registered up there. You know, you can spit it out of your mouth like a computer program or something. They don't obey it. They don't obey the gospel, which caused them to stop, turn away from their sin, to enjoy the Lord, and to obey him. That you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. What happened here? What happened here with these guys? This only what I learned of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you get the Spirit of God, which makes you one of his? Did you get that uh, by doing the works of the law? Or did you hear the word of Christ? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Hmm. Boy, that's a tempting thing, isn't it? That's one of those ditches that you can fall in. I think the law of God works as bumpers in the Christian's life. They show you, okay, I walk the straight and narrow, and on each side is bumpers. It's God's law that keeps me on the straight and narrow. It is his gospel that fills my heart because my sins have been forgiven. And I don't want to violate the bumpers there. I want to stay on the king's highway, as it were. Have ye suffered so many things in vain? Verse 4, chapter 3 of Galatians. If it be yet in vain. Here, he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he, uh, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Oh my goodness. Abraham didn't have to do anything for God to justify him. And that's Paul's argument also in the book of Romans. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same 
are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel of Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, so then which be of faith, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And he goes on from there. He makes a whole nother argument. That's where I want to stop there. And I'm going to move into Acts chapter 15, which they dealt with the same thing. It's the same stuff. Nothing new under the sun. People want to do works to somehow make up for their sin against God. They know it's there. They know it's there. Romans 1, they know it. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And this is why we can't be ashamed of the gospel. Because men know it, they just suppress it in truth. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. A friend of mine gave a great illustration of that. You, you guys ever seen those jack-in-the-boxes? You know, some of you probably got them. They're like a tin can, and you got a little crank on the side, and you got this little ugh, clown <laughs> jack-in-the-box. You push him down in there, you put the cover on, you crank it, and it goes, and you get to the certain part, and it goes, pop goes the weasel, right? And then the jack pops out. Well, the truth is like that for sinners. The truth is always popping up. It's always popping up. And the more you speak the truth and the more you communicate the gospel, you're cranking it out. You're cranking the music of the jack in the box. And what happens? The jack keeps popping up. The truth keeps popping up. And what do they do? Slam it down in there and put the cover back on it. And you just keep cranking. You just keep cranking the truth. And it keeps sticking its head up. And they keep suppressing it. And then right, that's the, that's the picture of the natural man. This is why the gospel is so important. So here we see in Acts chapter 15, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to go over it a little bit. I, I was hoping I would get all this in in the hour. Uh, but I'll go over it a little bit. Acts chapter 15, and um, boy, we're going to run out of time here. But I'm going to go ahead and, and start this. If you guys want to, i tell you what, let's just, let's just wait. If you guys want to join us on Red State Talk Radio, you want to join us on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, on Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live, or on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page there, please do so. Love to share this with you. Um, I, look, I, I, I don't mind the questions. Just don't put words in my mouth. Okay, I, I don't mind even assumptions stuff. Just don't put words in my mouth. Gedge Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, SonsLibertyMedia.com. Lord willing, we'll talk to you in the morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. See you then. Okay, want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And I haven't been able to see, follow along with a lot of the comments, so um, everybody's behaving themselves. <laughs> it's not like, I don't think there's a bloodbath in there, uh, which is good. Um, but nevertheless... I hope people are understanding what I'm getting at. If you are if you are trying to position yourself or anybody else in the manner that they go before the Father in heaven and they're ushered in to glory, they don't do so on their own. I don't care who they are. I don't care what age they are. They do that based on the work of Christ. And again, let me make it clear. I'm not saying any babies go to hell, but I'm saying if they go to heaven, and I have every hope that, Again, God would do right by that. That they don't go there on their own. 
on their own merits. That's the point. And if you believe they do, you hold to another gospel. And that I'm not going to apologize for because the scripture's clear. It's abundantly clear. And I'm not trying to burst somebody's bubble. I'm not trying to be a shock jock. That's what the scriptures declare. Either you're going through Jesus or you're not going. Period. Period. And in fact, the scriptures really don't tell us anything about children that much. Some people point to David uh, when he lost the child that he fathered with Bathsheba and his adultery, and uh, you know where he says, well, I'll go to him. He won't come to me. Well, where was the child? Well, his body was, you know, where we, we know the, the, the English word hell is Sheol, is in the grave. And we know that all of the men of the Old Testament, when they died, what did it say they did? Did it say they went into heaven? Nope, they weren't there. They went and slept with their fathers. And I don't know how all that stuff works. Some people have talked about, you know, two compartments of hell and one is for the righteous, one for them. I don't know. I'm not, I wasn't there. I haven't been there yet in any of those places. But I know this, you don't get into heaven, you don't get before the Father, except through the Son, period. Period. And if you want to argue for baby's innocence or people haven't heard or whatever you want to argue for, you are arguing against the Scripture. Look at this. This is Acts chapter 15. Again, this is the same thing that Paul uh, was dealing with there in Galatians. Same stuff, same Judaizers doing this stuff. And certain men, now that little phrase comes up in Jude too, certain, or excuse me, Peter, certain men crept in unawares, right? And they're, lead, they're leading silly women laden with diverse, they're leading them away from the truth. Certain men. These certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. You can't have your forgiveness of sin unless you're going to be circumcised. Unless you keep the law, that's what they're saying. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dis dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and the elders about this question. So listen, the fact that the church had elders there in Jerusalem and that Paul and Barnabas, and we see Peter come in there as well. We see James uh, as what many believe to be the head of the elders there. That would have been their, their grouping of government to see, okay, you've got a problem and you can't solve it there. Bring it to the elders. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying, that it is that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, I do think there are distinctions here between the moral law and the law of Moses. Now, the, obviously, the law of Moses does expand out what the Ten Commandments say, but specifically in the form of the ceremonies and all of the you know, trappings of that system. And the apostle and elders came together for to consider of this matter, and when there had been much disputing, 
Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. I mean, this is Peter. Remember, he's recounting what happened at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius and and those who heard the message began to speak in other languages, just like the apostles did and the, the followers of Jesus did on Pentecost. And he says they got the same spirit, same spirit we have. And then he says this. Now, keep in mind, this is the same Peter that we just read about in Galatians. Now, that obviously, Galatians happened after. But this is the same Peter who wasn't being straightforward about the gospel. <laughs> he says, now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. That's Peter. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Who's he talking about? They. The fathers. The fathers didn't, didn't hold on to that, the, the, the patriarchs and such. No. Nah. Trusting in the grace of God. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave an audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared also, excuse me, declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name and to disagree the words of the prophets, as it is written. After this I will return, and I will build again the, temp the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble them not, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Why do we want to lay this bondage on them of other stuff? But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions uh, of idols, from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. Now, we could take, we could take a whole show and just break down that, that verse there as to what's being communicated. Well, isn't that part of the law? Well, there are some things in there that's tied to that, sure. But there are things that have to do with conscience. All right, and obviously, fornication is a is a moral issue, um, but there's issues of conscience there. So, with that said, they come to the end of this. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. They said, let's give them some basic instruction. They're going to be taught these things anyway, these other things, and how they comport to who the Christ is, how that affects their life, and and, and so on. Then pleased it the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, uh, yeah, Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the heathen. So they write this long thing here, okay? But the point is, well, let me, I'll get ahead of myself here. 
let's just finish this this one verse here, and then the rest of it is sort of self-explanatory. Uh, they write this letter to the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Verse 24, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Therefore, it seemed good to us to write to you about this. And it's about Jesus. It's about the Holy Ghost. It is not about the person themselves. It is about the work of Christ. And so that's what they're wanting to correct here. They're wanting to correct a false gospel that says you can have faith in this hand and you've got to keep the law of Moses in this hand. That is a recipe for destruction and disaster, not for grace. Okay? And that's the whole idea, isn't it? Of what he's presenting there. There are other false gospels. I um I had boy, I had okay, here it is. You had a couple of things that I want to write down. And there, there are other false gospels. It's not just in a misunderstanding of an issue of children. It's not just a misunderstanding of how the law works and this, that, and the other. By the way, when I say we're not saved by the law, it doesn't mean the law is not useful. The law is useful. It shows men their sin. It's like going into the doctor's office and you've got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Well, if you don't, if the doctor doesn't say, well, we've done the test and we found out that you have this, and so therefore, you know, we need to treat you, and obviously you don't want to be treated by the Rockefeller Institute there. Uh, you, you want the more creation-based medicine, if you will. How are you going to know you have it so that you can treat it? Somebody has to come and diagnose you. Well, that's what the law does. The law is there to diagnose our sinful state. And so when we hold up the Ten Commandments, you say, well, that's the law of... No, that's the moral law of God. And when you have that, when you hold it up, it shows you how much of a lawbreaker you are. And thus, once you see and you realize that you're a lawbreaker and you're under the condemnation of the lawgiver because you've broken his law, then you're desperate for mercy. And you cry out to God for such. And that comes as a work of God in your heart. That is part of his love demonstrated to us is to convict us of our sin. But there's other gospels out there that are no gospels. In fact, Paul says, um, and I didn't, I should have backed up and just read that part too. Um, I hit the thing wrong. There are other gospels out there as well. Um, let me bring this up real quick. I don't know why I missed this. Okay. So this is from Galatians, the first chapter, and then I want to give you these other ones real quickly as to what they are. Uh, this is from, um, well, let's just start here at the first part. Context is king, right? It's always the best way to go. Chapter 1 of Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither of man, by Je but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you, and peace from God the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are so, so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Another gospel, which is not another. It's not another good news. It's really it's bad news with a thin veneer of good news on it. Because they'll still say, you can have the grace of God, but you got to keep the law. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he says this. Now, this ought to sober people up. It really ought to sober people up to think before they speak. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be damned. That's what that means. If you're preaching another gospel, this is a serious business, guys. If you're allowing for anything to take men to heaven but Jesus Christ, you are preaching another gospel. No, I didn't stutter. No, I won't apologize. The Apostle Paul says as much here. If you or me, for that matter, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, we're accursed. We're bringing a curse on ourselves. Hmm. Pretty serious stuff. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Any other gospel. Mix it up however you want to. Leave Christ out. Add something to Christ. Boy, we've got it in the Protestant circles too. You've got to get baptized. And I'm not against baptism. I think it's a sign of obedience. Believers before us did it. But if you think that adds something to your salvation, there's a big problem there. Even your obedience, as though somehow that's going to merit something, add something to the work of Christ. Are you kidding me? That's another gospel. And some people have made their gospel out of a pre-tribulation rapture, something that's just completely fictitious in Scripture. Some people have made their gospel out of what they wear. How they do certain things. Some people have made it out about a, a whole theological system that somehow because they, they dot all the T's and or dot all the I's and cross all the T's, sorry about that, that somehow theologically they are right before God. You know what? I don't see any people being saved that necessarily because of their theology was correct. Now, I believe we ought to struggle for right theology and we ought to fight for that. That's contending for the faith. Don't get me wrong, but you aren't saved because of that. You're saved because of Christ. You're saved from your sins and the wrath of God because of the work of Christ. Oh, my goodness. But now, what do we have here in America? A couple of things. We got the prosperity gospel. Now, look, I believe the, that the Lord prospers his people, but he prospers them in all kinds of different ways. It isn't just this money situation. Sometimes he blesses his people with that. 
But there are spiritual blessings. There are physical blessings. Go back and look at the patriarchs, how they were blessed. I mean, Abraham, I mean, this guy is out there. He's believed God He's justified. And yet he goes and tells you know the Pharaoh that his wife's his sister so that he won't be killed and they'll take his wife. He's clearly wrong in what he's done. The Pharaoh realizes it because God shows it to him. He's like, what are you doing, man? This is your wife. Why did you tell her? Tell me it was your sister. And even in the midst of that, and this is not to justify Abraham's sin in any way, but even in the midst of that, God blessed him. Was Abraham worthy of that blessing? No. He deserved a good kick to the backside for what he did. Same thing with Hagar. Got a child of promise coming. Wife gets with him. We can make this happen. Take my handmaid. I don't know any wife who would do that, but Sarah did. <laughs> and it just brought more problems. And yet, out of that, God continued to bless Abraham. Why? Because it wasn't dependent upon Abraham. It was dependent upon the God who made the promise. And again, it's not to justify Abraham's sin. He clearly did wrong. But it's to show the character of God. That he is gracious to his people, that he's even merciful to his people. But the prosperity movement says, oh, well, if you're sick, you must not have enough faith. Well, if you don't have the finances, you must not have enough faith. And if you just give to me, then God will, you know, the passage about it will open the windows of heaven and he'll, you know, pour it out more than you can stand. And they use that to manipulate the people while you see them up in their fine suits and their gaudy gold backgrounds that look like Donald Trump's palace. And they tell you about how freeing and liberty that Christ brings. And yet Peter says they're after money and they're after sexual favors. And he says, while they promise you liberty, they themselves are the slaves of corruption. They don't have a gospel that saves. They're out to fleece the flock. That's the prosperity gospel. The personal gospel. This is the self-help kind of movement. A lot of this falls in the word of faith movement. Um, and it's all, and again, I'm not trying to broad blanket every person. I'm just saying in general, this is what it comes out as. The self-help gospel is that which is inspirational. It's motivational. It's it, let's put a name on it. It's taught. It's a uh, uh, what's that guy's name? John Robbins. Is that the guy? He's the motivational speaker kind of thing. It, it's it's the John Robbins gospel. No, it's not John Robbins. It's not John Robbins. John Robbins is over at the Trinity Foundation. <laughs> He's going to be with the Lord now. I'm trying to think of who I'm thinking of. The Robbins guy. You guys know. Um, somebody probably can help me out in the chat in a little bit. But anyway. This is the this is the thing. It's the Robbins gospel. Be the better you. It's the Joel Osteen gospel. That'll that'll be more pertinent. Your best day yet. Tony, thank you, Bethany. Tony Robbins. <laughs> I don't know why I lost that guy's name. It's the Tony Robbins kind of gospel. You just need to make yourself better. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. You can do it. That's one of the gospels floating around. It's a false gospel. Because it really lacks Christ as the Savior of the sinner. Just like the prosperity gospel. Jesus is like the um, 
you know, the, the really rich dude who obtains all these riches and he just wants to dump it out on you. And when I say riches, I'm not talking about riches, uh, you know, according to his riches and glory, as we see in the scripture, I'm talking about real money and stuff, houses, cars, all this stuff. And you see all these false teachers. What are they living in? Are they living in um, a house like you or me? Are they living in, you know, a trailer somewhere? Are they uh, living out of their car because they love people and they want to go take the gospel to them or any of this kind of stuff? Nope. They're living in these mansions that have more rooms than they have people to live in them. They got more money and they know what to do with. They got more cars and they know what to do with. And they keep wanting more. They keep wanting the people to give more so they can expand their quote unquote ministry, which isn't a ministry. It's, it, well, it is a ministry. It's a ministry of destruction. It's a ministry of damnation because they have a false gospel. One other one. Oh, this one's good. The political gospel. You say, Tim, well, don't you guys preach a political gospel? No. What in the world? <laughs> Do you think you're going to be saved by any government in this world? Really? You can't even trust government to protect you or to do what it says it will do. What people put their hand on the Bible, raise their hand up and make an oath before God and man. You can't even trust them to carry that out. How could you trust them to, to save you from your sin? You can't. But the political gospel thinks, well, if we can just get all this stuff in place, then we'll create a utopia. We're going to create the heaven on earth. Now, I believe that if you enforce the law of God, you're going to put the fear of God in the people's hearts. And I'm going to tell you what, I, it is my firm belief that when people see the law of God being carried out, and I'm talking about accorded justice according to the moral law, not you know the law of Moses stuff, but the moral law being carried out, and they see that men are serious about what God has said about his law and about just punishments, then all of a sudden, the gospel should be a cold drink of water for the thirsty unbeliever. It should be. Is it? Only if the Spirit of God makes it effectual. And see here again, this comes back to where man is dependent upon God, not God dependent upon man. God's not waiting on you to make your deal or make your choice or pray your sinners. He's not waiting on you to do that. He's commanded it. You are obligated to bow the knee before him and to submit yourself to his king, the Lord Jesus, and quit sinning, quit breaking his law. That's what you're required to do. And you know what? You will do it if God so chooses to give you mercy and to give you the new birth, and how does he do that? Through little rednecks like me who preach his gospel, who are unworthy to speak for the king, and yet the king has called me to speak it, so I'll speak it. And you preach the message of the gospel and the Spirit of God goes out, and that Word goes out, and it does what it's supposed to do. It doesn't return to God void, but it hardens whom it will, and it shows mercy to whom God will. Read Romans chapter 9. And by the way, that includes even little children. That's why we encourage, you know, if you go to hear the Word of God, take your kids in there. Take your youngins in there. And if you're pregnant, go in there too. Because those babies can hear 
that message too. They can hear it. Remember I talked about John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, leaped for joy when he heard the words of Mary, the mother of Christ. Leap for joy. Do those kinds of things. Be wary of false gospels. There's only one real one. If Christ is not at the center, if he's not all around the circumference, if he's not filling the middle of that gospel, it is not the gospel. If man's praise, if man's works, if man's thoughts, if man's cuteness, if man's spiritual enlightenment, if man's moral ability that he thinks he has, which he doesn't, is anywhere in that gospel, it is another gospel. It is a damned gospel. And those who hear it are damned too. Those who hear it and embrace it. Let me, let me clarify. They hear it and embrace it. They are damned too. The true gospel calls you to repent of your sin, submit yourself unto Christ, trusting that he bore your sins on the cross in your place, and you're willing to follow after him, forsaking all and follow after him. That's the real gospel. This Jesus is not in a grave. He's not a baby. He's not in his humiliation. He is the glorified, risen Son of God, sitting on the throne at the right hand of God. And you know what? His command to you today is to repent and believe the gospel that has been preached to you this day. And I hope that you will do that. And if you have been one who has believed that, I pray that you rejoice in that. That there's a part of me I'm wanting to get a little jumpy in some of the things because I know what it is to have God come and change the heart when you're not looking for it. You're doing everything in rebellion against him. And it's an exciting thing to know that the God of the universe looked over the billions of people and he came and he put his finger on my heart, took out the heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, gave me a new birth, set me on a new course. What a wonderful thing to know that the God who made all things, both visible and invisible, loves me and set his love upon me and demonstrated it in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's give him glory for that today. Okay? And let's remember when we talk about these things, that Christ is at the center of it. Let's not make it these things about man or babies or politicians or any of that other. Let's make it about Christ. That's the central theme here. All right. Bradley be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. Sons of Liberty Media.com. And we'll be back with you in the morning. Lord willing, 6 a.m. Talk to you then. See you.